Hi, thanks for tuning into Doth Protest Too Much. The episode you're about to listen to is uh, with Brian Jarrell about the Asbury Revival. And I apologize, my voice on the episode is a little muffled because I forgot my microphone and pop filter at the other place I live. Um, I'm kind of between places right now until my wife and I are both in Lake Charles serving. Um, and so, uh, but I think for the most part, my sound came through fine, just a little muffled. Um, not not the worst that's been on the show, but also not the best uh, sound quality on my end either. Uh, but I think the episode turned out overall really well, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. God bless. Good morning, afternoon, evening, or the middle of the night, whenever you're listening. You're listening to Doth Protest Too Much, a podcast on Reformation, theology, and history. Uh, this is Drew, and joining me today are Stephen Burnett back with us, and our guests for the first time, the Reverend Brian Gerald, and Pastor Br- or Pastor Brian. And uh, Brian serves at Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Where he's been since 2018, he holds degrees from Trinity School for Ministry in Grove City College, and he writes for Mockingbird, along with several others whom we've had as guests on this show. It seems like we have someone from Mockingbird Ministries uh, pretty frequently. It's starting to become a regular thing, and no complaints on my end there. Um, uh, We love having Mockingbird folks on. So uh, welcome, Brian. Thank you for joining Stephen and I today and kind of give us uh, before we get into what we're going to talk about, I guess, give us a little bit of your uh, background and what led you into ministry. Sure, Drew. Thanks for having me on. It's really, really exciting. I I hope not to break the chain of interesting conversations with mockingbird people, but, uh, you know, it's, it's always good. You've had a bunch of my friends on and they say they, they had a great time and, um, you know, it's, it's always, uh, fun to chat about what we write about on the site. Um, you know, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I didn't really start doing anything churchy until high school. I had, uh, uh, sort of a, an answered prayer and it got me back into church, um, or got my family back into church, uh, in a serious way. And, our church tradition was uh, Baptist, Southern Baptist, and so I was part of a large uh, sort of praise and worship, drum kit, smoke machine, light show, Southern Baptist church in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia, uh, as a youth group member for those uh, transformative four years of high school. Um, I uh, went to Grove City for my undergrad. Even at that point, I had sort of uh, been thinking about a call to ministry. Um, I had uh, gotten into some trouble in the youth group, which is a maybe a story for another podcast, but sort of experienced grace and forgiveness in the midst of that. And that's when I, I realized I wanted to, um, I think this is something I wanted to do vocationally. So I went to Grove City College for four years and uh, thinking I was going to be a Southern Baptist uh, minister of some sort, but then found the, uh, the Anglican tradition there and uh, fell in love with it. Um, it was the, really the first time I had heard the gospel proclaimed clearly and articulate, articulately, um, clearly um, and thoughtfully and winsomely and pastorally from the pulpit. And I just fell in love and uh, fell in love with um, the gospel all over again. And, um, you know, uh, blink forward through some seminary education and you know, I've been doing ministry now um, for coming up on uh, 10 or 11 years. Uh, my math is bad, but um, the, I worked on a church plant in Morgantown, West Virginia for a number of years. And now I'm in Ligonier, Pennsylvania, which is kind of the same mountain range to the south and to the east of Pittsburgh. So, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of ministry in that sort of northern Appalachia uh, area. And um, uh, I've got my wife, Beth, and my son, Tom, my daughter, Audrey. They're three and seven months. So we got a young family, got a beautiful golden retriever named Ginger. And um, yeah, so so God's been good to us. And uh, I'm glad to, to talk about that. And it's good to be here and to chat more about you, uh, chat more with you uh, about uh, some of the stuff we've been talking about on Mockingbird. 
Awesome. Well, uh, no, we we're, we love having you on. And Stephen and I, I think we can, we can relate to uh, youth group drama a little bit. Stephen, do you remember that time <laughs> we, we had the pumpkin uh, carving? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And there yeah. was a, we had a pumpkin carving for, for youth group night. And, and one of the pumpkins, um, we don't know who did it, but <laughs> one of the pumpkins had a, a phallic symbol carved into it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's to, uh, great Stephen yeah. was quick thinking I was just like looking at it, I was like oh my gosh uh, <laughs> what should I do Stephen just pulls out his knife and just like turns it into a big circle it was, uh, <laughs> it, was uh, it was a pumpkin circumcision if you want to think about it, <laughs> it <was a> <laughs> whole thing. well for what it's worth god bless all you youth ministers out there um, I, I say i got in trouble in youth group um yeah I, I was the kid who ran off on the retreat into the woods with his girlfriend for um uh, uh, ungodly hanky panky as it were um well, i'm sure every godly, youth group instead of godly play it's ungodly, yeah, ungodly yeah I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> um and so, uh, you know, I tell everyone I, I can be nice to the kids who run off in the woods. They may grow up to be your minister someday um, if they really understand the gospel and you really preach to them the gospel. Um, so those kids need love, too. And, um, you know, I got some of that. And here I am now. I still love Jesus. And, uh, you know, not not a whole lot of leftover hanky panky from that time frame. I promise, you know, I'm a good husband. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, God, it's like it's like the St. Augustine story, basically. Very much so, yeah. <laughs> so, Very much so. <laughs> um, well, uh, we're here talking today about an article you wrote recently titled um, Revival in a Disenchanted Age, which um, offers an overall charitable take on uh, what's going on at Asbury Seminary, uh, which has received a lot of focus in the past few weeks, but also in other places around the country and the globe, from what I understand. I, I try to keep up with it. Uh, but there's lots of news out there. Um, and, uh, you know, there's there, there's no revival, at least like that going on in my neck of the woods. But there does seem to be something in the air, I guess, overall. And, and I and that said, I should say kind of in my own parish, Misha, I've even experienced kind of a maybe it's, you know, new priests, new chapter. But 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 definitely the spirit's definitely at work here, too. So I don't, don't mean it to sound like that, but. But, you know, kind of these big things going on, these revivals um, and, and Christian leaders and pastors would be doing a disservice to not take notice of it in some way. And, and so now whether these things are things to rejoice over or to be skeptical of or to have a mix of both, we'll get into that. But I think in general, this is big news uh, going on. It's relevant news. Uh, we need to be paying attention to this. Um, it's exciting. And for our listeners, we will be talking about parts of Brian's article where he expressed his thoughts on, uh, on on it, at least the Asbury revival, and, and we'll put the link to to it in the show notes. So, but let's kind of define the term here because um, I think it's kind of a fluid term. But revival, um, how should we define define that? Just kind of for you know, our listeners will probably have a good you know they listen to religious shows and they're probably religious. But um, how would you define that? I guess. Uh, Brian and Stephen, I feel feel free to kind of dip into uh, obviously. But. Well, it, it's tough, right? Because um, well, half half of the sort of conversation online about what happened at uh, Asbury is is it a revival? Is it not a revival? You know, is it a you know what 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 actually can we catalog it and put it in the categories of revival, or is it just um, like an outpouring. I don't know what that means, honestly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, my understanding of a revival is just when um, uh, sort of the grace of God is manifest in a place and uh, things happen and um, beautiful things happen for the sake of the gospel as a result. And it's something that's out of the ordinary. It's something that, uh, uh, you know, um, this particular one involved, for example, uh, was it two weeks, 14 days, just about of, of, straight uh prayer and worship so there was sort of this this long this wasn't just a church service every day it was something longer and bigger and it happened to draw a bunch of people and you know people were were testifying as they attended that things like um uh miraculous healings uh, whether that's sort of inner healings of the heart or um you know even sort of physical healings as well um people were 
um, confessing sins and reconciling with with enemies. It just something seemed extraordinary there, and it was sort of this little slice of the kingdom of heaven on earth for a little bit. And um, you know, um, so I don't want to put too fine a point on what what is a revival mm -hmm. uh, as as so much as you know American revivalism, which is sort of uh, a tradition within American Christianity that seeks out these kinds of events and seeks mm -hmm. out these moments and maybe tries to replicate them. Uh, manufacture is an uncharitable word, but I don't have a better word right. uh, to, to manufacture the circumstances for one to occur, maybe is how we could phrase it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how I, 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 I don't particularly have a dog in the fight, as it were, about defining the word revival but there does seem to be a tradition in American um, uh, Protestant evangelicalism, although it predates evangelicalism, I think it goes back to sort of the second great awakening and Charles Finney and some of that world. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, there's a sense in which um, there is a strain of American Christianity that regularly seeks this kind of experience. And um, I think that's something you can talk about. And it's a little more concrete than saying, what is a revival? If that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I, I, I do want to, I do have some kind of the history here a little bit. Um, uh, but I like what you said about the, the a movement that kind of seeks the experience and there's some danger in that. Uh, we can mm. understand where it comes from, but, and you touched a little bit on that toward the end of your article. Mm. Um, but these revivals, I don't, I don't know if I want to say it's even unique to like the North American frontier. Cause again, it's kind of the fluid sense of the term. I think um, mm. one could make a, a case, you know, uh, that, that the reformation was a revival in a sense, reviving the proclamation oh, yeah. of the gospel. Uh, John Wesley was a revival. And these, of course, these all happen in England and Europe, but, but we do have this, right, kind right. Of, you know, I guess the image that comes in my mind is kind of like the, the grassroots uh, tent scene image uh, off, mm. at least for me, when I think of revival uh, and then of course, as we move into the modern and in industrial ages uh, revivals, take the place of big churches that get established. Um, um, Stephen, I'm glad you joined us today because our, our listeners know Stephen well as one of our co-hosts, but Stephen, you did research uh, back in college on Azusa Street Revivals. And of course, you and I have mm. done sort of yeah. an episode and a half on that in the show in the, in the past, yeah. but we had, and we had conversation on Amy Simple McPherson and that, um, whose story, her story alone is fascinating. What a fascinating story. Oh yeah, my not, gosh. Not without she one of the, <laughs> if you don't know the story, listener, go find his previous episode and and, and listen, because that is one of the craziest stories. I mean, kidnappings, uh, tied and gagged <laughs> and, and taken to Mexico. I mean, it's insane. It's absolute it insane. insane. It would make for a good movie. And they 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 made they made a movie. They made a movie. It was not a good movie, but it could have made for a good movie. <laughs> it could have made for a good movie. Yeah. So, it could be yes. Uh, maybe yeah. like a, they could they could make a good Netflix series out of it. Uh, so, um, well, but, so we, yeah, well, my, we, my, my take on this, yeah. like we have the tension of signs and wonders, and then people that seek signs and wonders. Like that's all through the scripture mm -hmm. too, right? Like mm -hmm. Jesus, Jesus, like look, don't you come to me because I, I gave you, I multiplied the bread, you know, and that's baked into us. The but it, it can reflect the see it to believe it mindset. And they, by contrast, I think I think what I've seen has been overwhelmingly like God's doing something. People are repenting. The devil's not inspiring people to repent, to forgive, to to lay down sin, to spend hours in prayer, to spend hours in worship. That's not that's not the devil doing that. Yeah. But at the same time, what happens is we look at this amazing thing that God has done in my life or your life, or we see happen on a large scale, and then we say, well, when that's when I'm not seeing that, that God's not at work. And so if this mm -hmm, is revival, mm -hmm. then this is dead. Right, and right. that's, I think, I think the big, the actual concern, you know. That's a good distinction. Cause I mean, it's, I understand, and I'll get into in the episode, what, what I understand the wariness people have of this type of religiosity. Um, but I, I find it very hard, very hard to try to link, you know, the devil, like you said, Stephen, to the inspiration for someone to to confess their sins to repent and to pray i mean that is it, i just have a very hard time saying the devil's behind that. i know the devil's crafty and the devil will will infiltrate the church and and use religion to his advantage in ways that uh 
I mean, he's smarter than we are. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I, I can't, I just can't bring myself to that point. So, mm -hmm. um, so I found, um, I, and I, speaking of the history, I found a good link that I'm going to put in the show notes for listeners. It was like a breakdown. It, it was a helpful summary of what it calls the five great American revivals. Um, right, right. The first three are the first, second, and third great awakenings as the, the fourth, the fourth great one, it lists as Azusa street, um, which Stephen mm -hmm. knows some stuff about when that uh, Amy, Amy McPherson was part of that. And then it kind of, it, it lists the 20th century Billy Graham revivals as like uh, the fifth. And, you know, some good things came out of these, like uh, the, the, the site that I'm putting this link up to describes how the second great awakening greatly influenced and gave impetus to the anti-slavery movement. Right. Um, the third great awakening involved D.L. Moody. It opened up theological education to common folk. Uh, can't complain about these things. Uh, that said, listeners will know from past episodes, especially from James, Charlie and I, <laughs> that we take that type of religiosity with a huge grain of salt. I, I think we, for me, I sense kind of the over interiorizing of religion, the whole Jesus in my heart lingo, the, the, yeah, and then the which leads to the second guessing and the and the questioning ourselves is Jesus really in my heart? Am I really feeling Jesus? Uh, that of course leads us to be kind of trapped in our own self wrestling, which makes us lose sight, in my view, of what the original Protestant reformers stressed so highly that Christ is not found within you, uh, but outside you, objective objectively in word and sacrament there's assurance in that you know we are weak unto our own selves he is strong type thing um you know and it's uh i guess what i also i was going to say on that I'll, I'll be quiet in a minute um kind of that emotive aspect of the, that religiosity too um can lead some anxiety Stephen maybe touched on it too a little bit with um well if i'm not expressing my faith like that Am I really faithful? I mean, it can it can become kind of in that holiness type of mind that it can become um, kind of toxic. I don't know. What are what are some of your for both of you? What are some of your thoughts on that? I, uh, yeah, I appreciate the the idea that uh, you know we have to recognize that these things um, good things come of them, but they can be mixed bags. And I, I think my favorite example of this is Charles Finney because uh, you know he was very dynamic, very um, you know. Uh, active in his his work um as the sort of father of american revivalism um so on the one hand you have that and um on the other hand when he went to a crusade like when he had a revival event people became christian um he would make them sign anti-slavery petitions saying if you were really a christian you would be opposed to slavery and I'm like, okay, I get that. Like, I understand that, but also mm, it makes me a little angry mm, because you're not a Christian because you're anti-slavery. You're a Christian because you believe Jesus died and rose again and he's forgiven your sins and he's coming back to fix the world. Uh, so, you know, I, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Um, and Finney himself was basically like um, a Pelagian in his uh, outlook. You know, he believed in total free will, He, he you know, Christian perfection. And, and so there is this mixed bag of, of um, you know, clearly Charles Finney didn't ask me how he should plan his revivals, but there's, right. you know, um, you know, uh, there's a difference between viewing these things as the be all and end all of the Christian experience versus what, what I would say the more maybe Protestant reform gospel centered way of looking at it is it's a gift um, for whatever reason, it, this gift of a revival has been given. And um, we simply receive it. We can't control gifts. We can't, um, you know, manufacture gifts, but we can receive them uh, from God. And um, I think that maybe, as I've continued to reflect on the event after writing about it, I, I lean more into that category of, you know, these are gifts that the Lord gives us, not um, not anything else that we can control or, or manufacture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and look, we're, we've all done you know, youth ministry. Um, we have seen the infatuated uh, camp couple that met two days ago and are already planning the rest of their lives, right? I've seen that um, like three times in the past, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, to me, that like your relationship with God is covenant. 
it's it's marriage you know it is not this fling right and and i think that's that's one of the things we get here when we talk about revival is we get the people that like you say make the emotionalism the whole thing and what we know watching these teenagers and watching ourselves in the past is it'll be a whole thing until it's nothing and then it falls apart and then we're waiting for the next you know surge of euphoria at the same time like if you love your spouse you're going to get emotional you're going to have some you're going to have some emotion about that person you're going to have some emotion in times you'll have times in your marriage when uh when you know it's it's like those surges when you were younger right it's like that that thing so to me like that's just part of a healthy relationship you don't want to base your relationship with god on how i feel about my relationship with God or, or what amazing things that he's done that I've seen him do or, you know, uh, but at the same time, if, if it's just, well, my relationship with God is I read this book and I go to that place and that is the extent of it. And I have nothing, you know, I don't, I want to be careful here. I don't want to say you're not saved. But I want to say that's not the ideal way of, of being in, in Christ is to have no emotion at all. Right. Can I, can I piggyback off that for a second, Stephen? Um, you know, when I was in the youth group, group scene, sort of young in college, I had an experience, I think, that gets to the heart of this. Um, you guys remember uh, back in the, the early to mid-aughts, Switchfoot was the, the band, right? You guys remember Switchfoot? And they had, they had the... Uh, every the meant, year of my birthday. Right, right. They had Meant to Live, the great crossover yeah. hit. And, and it was, they were cool for the secular crowd and they were cool for the youth group crowd. And so you could really, you know, hey, you want to listen to some Christian music? How about Switchfoot? It was sort of the thing. And anyway, I went to go see them in concert in, in Richmond where I grew up in they were traveling through like a summer concert series and it was very much a secular event. Like, I don't remember who opened up for them, but, but it was very odd because you had sort of opener act completely like secular, just normal rock band. I maybe a local band. I didn't know, but then all these like youth group bands were like pulling in because they want their kids to see Switchfoot. Well, my, what happened there that was sort of a, a, a clue for me that I needed more for my faith than the emotionalism of sort of that that high experience mountaintop however you want to call it was um, i'm in the middle of you know we're rocking out to the song and it's good and the vibe is good and um they play the song ammunition if you're familiar with it and um in that song it's basically like it's just youth angst <laughs> the, the it's about growing up and being like pawns in the culture war like there's nothing explicitly sort of religious at its core it's not like meant to live you know and uh, I sit there and I'm singing and, and my buddies are there and we're just kind of head, you know, rocking and hanging out. And then I start to lift my hands in the air just unconsciously. And, and I, I, this is something I did at church all the time is when the music was good and I was sort of feeling it, you, know, you lift your hands like good old Pentecostal. And so I, I started to lift my hands and I'm about halfway up when I said, oh, hold on a second here, <laughs> right? What, what's going on? And um, it was the first time I said, what if, what if some of the, the highs that I think are the Holy Spirit and God's presence in me are just really good music, right. <laughs> you know, what if it's just right. like the scene that's causing that. And, and that's really what sought me into that's sort of one moment that helped me move into a faith that's more rooted in objectivity, right? Something that is true regardless of my opinion or my circumstance versus the experience. Cause I said, Oh, well, maybe I can't trust my experiences all that much. I mean, they, they do sometimes, but, but not all the time. Yeah, one of the best one of the best live music experiences I've ever had was seeing Nine Inch Nails. Uh, they are in many ways their messaging is anti. This was at a different point in my life. It was it was when I was in my <laughs> secular days, but but it was. I mean, I could mistake that for a spiritual experience, right? But I mean, mm. they had the lights, they had just the 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 just the the gears and the industrial sounds. It's just like you know, it was just a very. I mean, it was an incredible concert, but um uh yeah it was not uh the holy spirit definitely not if you read if you read trent Reznor's lyrics sorry trent i don't know if he listens to this podcast but uh uh well and you mentioned and you know steven i, I know you started to say it but steven are, are you going to see switch with this do you have your tickets lined up because steven sees switch not yet. every year man every year every I year i love it i love it uh, 2020 they have like an online concert i bought my ticket man I it, yeah. hey um, you know what youth group uh, or not nothing is sound is still a great album i'll, I'll throw it out fantastic album 
they've been putting out, and they, his solo stuff's good too. But uh, in fact, I went to one of their concerts around 07 and it was in a bar. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm in a bar. Like, and it was <laughs> all youth groups that I, they never had Switchfoot back. They probably sold three beers the whole night. <laughs> it was all youth group peeps. Um, no, but I had a similar, like I was in church and I realized I get emotional and feel the Holy Spirit at right as we crescendo into the chorus of this same song every time. That might be just music. That might be the emotion. You God, know? So the, that the wind blows where where you know it will go. Uh, to <laughs> is not what Jesus said. So. Yeah, which is interesting, right? Because I I still think God uses that, right? Yeah. You know, um, I, I let's say I don't want to say that. God doesn't use it. And, and to look at what happened in Asbury, there were clearly some students, you know, there um, who really were moved by the music. And, and I don't want to say God doesn't use those things. I, I, I simply want to say that, um, again, we, we are simply receiving a gift from the Lord, not, um, not a sort of in control of it. And um, the more we try to, to sort of wrestle it down and, and control it, the, the, the more chances it has to get out of hand to become something the Lord didn't intend it to be, as it were. It becomes something that's more uh, more hindering the kingdom of God, as we might say, than helping. Right. So when you mentioned uh, the manufacturing, the attempts to manufacture, I, I immediately thought of, of the transfiguration. When, <laughs> when you know, Peter and, and, and James and John are up there, and Peter says, let us build some tabernacles right here. Let's build some tents. Let, let's keep this here. Right. Let's mm -hmm. make this happen and keep this here. And so we can we can live in this experience all the time. Mm -hmm. And as soon as, as soon as he says it, you know, it's it's gone. Right. Right. I think, I think that's what that's what happens so many times. We try and, and grab hold of these things and and we can't. And it's it's because, as you say, this is not what we're based on. This is not what God is is doing his work. He's he's doing this stuff as gifts. I love that analogy. It's just a little gift, mm -hmm. but it's not the whole thing. Right. And, you know, if you in the article, one of the things I wanted to, to I thought was really fascinating about Asbury in particular was the great care and um, sort of in, uh, intentionality that the campus took to not let the thing be co-opted or perverted into something else. Right. So it's like this overnight revival starts popping up and then the student life staff get together and they're like, how do we let this thing you know, um, be a natural thing that takes its own course. It's like, how can we keep this going with absolutely minimum, you know, um, minimum control or oversight? And, and it was everything from like, you know, um, guys on campus with like MAGA hats and shofars thinking this was some sort of political thing. And they're like, no, this, this isn't it. Like, you're welcome to come, but leave the, leave the ram horn in your car, right? You, you can come be a part of it, but just let this be the thing. Don't, don't try to make it into something else. Um, and uh, I just thought that was really uh, wise of them because it was very much the sense of trusting that God was there and God was doing something and just letting God be God and letting the grace happen as it happens and just trying to facilitate just enough order to keep it from falling off the rails, right? That's, that's really, um, I thought that was admirable of the university to sort of create that space and that intentionality. And I want to ask you a little bit more about Asbury, because we didn't really get to Asbury yet, but I do want to quote, I do want to share a quote from relating to everything we just talked about. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of the article, I'll just go ahead and quote it. You talk about the Jesus high, as you call it. That, that's kind of the term you give it. And I like that. You give it to the to the to the the feeling of the emotion, the emotional effect. Um, and you say, quote, the moment that revival ceases ceases to be a gift, it becomes a work and a law and an avalanche of judgment and condemnation. If orchestrating a revival is a work of our own, then one might be tempted to, to suggest those who don't attend are somehow complicit in the revival falling apart. If revival is something we have crafted, then we will try to replicate it time and again to diminishing returns and exhausted spirits. If God only shows up because we have created the perfect space and the perfect set of circumstances, then anything outside that very limited window becomes suspect and anathema. The songs and the ceremonies of the revival become sacrosanct, and we miss the Holy Spirit's next gift because it looks and feels different than what we had expected, um, unquote. So beautifully said. Uh, but... Let's go to Asbury. What what's going on in 
Wilmore, Kentucky right now. Give us a kind of a summary. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, depending on when this is released, right? Right right now, I, I'm not sure if anything is, is going on. They officially kind of closed the doors on the revival about, a, a, I guess, two weeks ago at the time we're recording this. Um, and, and to clear, I want to give credit for the Jesus high language. I want to give that credit to a student actually on Asbury names, Anna Lowe. She wrote a remarkable sort of wrap up about the revival in in their student newspaper there that I, I quote from in my article. I, I thought her her wisdom was there, and you know if I wish I was a that wise when I was a college student in terms I, of I recognizing read, the. I read that article you linked. I'll put I'll put just a link to Anna Lowe's article in here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It was um it yeah right. I I was not I was also not did not have that wisdom at. <laughs> so uh <laughs> yes so but yes it's very well done and and um thank you so i'm sorry i cut you well, off you know I, I speaking of things on the mockingbird website there's a really interesting uh, uh post that my colleague and, and writer friend named sam bush wrote uh, earlier this week and it was about sort of reading the tea leaves and trying to figure out what God is doing and what God is up to. And I think a lot of people tried to do that with, with Asbury, right? So here's this 24 hour, two week long service of prayer and worship and testimony and confession. And people are going there and they're reporting that they're experiencing healings and reconciliations and, and um, sort of uh, transcendent experiences of peace and, and calmness in an otherwise crazy world. And, um, there, you know, as why Asbury? Why then? Why now? Um, I, I don't think we'll ever have an answer to that. I, you know, it's tempting to say things like, you know, something there's a big study that came out that said something like uh, some big chunk of, of, of young high school and collegiate aged women are, are suicidal at, at this point. It's something like 25 to 30 percent. I, I don't know the stat off the top of my head, so I probably shouldn't even quote it. And part of me wants to say, like, well, what a gift it is to this community, right, to have God sort of enter in and, and, and maybe help a lot of these women, you know, um, or maybe, you know, uh, God's got some big plan for the future. and We can start thinking about the future and what that looks like. Um, but what Sam did was he, he talked about Carl Carl Bart and, and Bart really didn't like this, right? Carl Bart really didn't like this sort of here's what God's doing, here's what God is up to uh, language. And he said basically like when you do that, like you're taking, um, you're making the thing your religion and not Jesus. Well, and and some important background to that, of course, we know Bart Bart was so opposed to that kind of language because that's what he saw the Germans doing when they wanted to start World War One. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is God. God is doing this. Yeah. So yeah. So let's let's not abstract this too much. It has very <clears throat> practical consequences for for you know church and society. Um, mm -hmm. So so I, I you know as to why there was this big rev two week revival, I'm not sure. Um, that's to the Lord's knowledge, and we can ask Him one day maybe, and He'll tell us. Well, um, said... as to go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. But but there's a sense where, you know, again, like you were saying earlier, you know, something happened there. People walked away saying it's good. There were 50,000 people by the time that it had done who had come out of this tiny little town. People traveled all the way from like Chile to be there. I mean, international attention. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the line to get in was, you know, hours long and people were there 24 hours a day for two weeks. So whatever happened there, and again, we're a bit hamstrung because we weren't there. All we get to do is look at the testimonies of the people who were there. It certainly seems like uh, something beautiful happened and there was a gift of, from God. And, and the, the result was um, a lot of people walking away with um, a different outlook on life and a different outlook on, on uh, God than they had before. Well, you shared, uh, you shared some testimonies in your article from people who were part of it, uh, people coming to it, experiencing... Um, feelings of being freed from their burdens in ways that they cannot fully describe other than that they genuinely felt different. Uh, you mentioned the testimony uh, of, of Anna Lowe, who from what I, from kind of just summarize what her kind of, she had this realization of just kind of the scope and the vastness of all that is, I guess, pointing to a creator. And she felt like it seemed like it, she was humbled by that and that, you know, resentments and things that she'd carried around felt suddenly, um, just so minuscule and and she felt those kind of lifted from her and 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 realized you know what or who rather is truly important um i mean these are for a gathering 
that was seemingly so spontaneous and for, for people to find this piece, that's pretty significant. Um, you know, importantly, that it might be helpful to put uh, what's going in your article, you, you mentioned, might be helpful to put what's going on in the broader picture. You know, there's a lot going on in our world. Um, and uh, you, you call the world, especially the world today, disenchanted. Mm. What, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, that, that's not my language, of course. That's more sociological language to talk sure. about how uh, the world is becoming increasingly secular. Again, no, no surprise there. By secular, we mean uh, sort of a, a viewpoint of the world that is foundationally materialistic, um, meaning the material is the primary if there is a spiritual, it's sort of unknowable and uh, it's relegated to the world of like, you know, horoscopes and, um, you know, good luck charms. But but really, we just need to focus on life as, as exclusively material. Yeah. Or, or they're finding, I think they're, they're, they're maybe looking for transcendence, but in the wrong places too. I mean, some of the ideologies of our time are, are taking on a quasi-religious Tone. Right, right. So his, historic expressions of religion, not just Christianity, but every religion, but, uh, you know, in America, we see it happening primarily in, in Christianity, uh, and sort of, uh, you know, just affiliations with Christianity are dropping uh, significantly, and that tends to be tr more true of younger generations than, than older. And so th there is this big shift away, yeah, from, um, from uh from sort of whether it's sort of the post World War II we all fought in the trenches and saw some really horrible things and so now we need to go to church because you know we were in the war and sort of that post World War II boom that happened in church membership and attendance um you know that that seems to really be falling away and it's just less less common for people to be um to, to count themselves as Christians or even spiritual mm -hmm. uh, at this point um. So there's that. This is the, the one thing I, I wrote about that I thought was really worth reflecting on was, um, you know, this is the first real revival of any sort that happened in the age of social media. And so a lot of how this spread was through things like TikTok, an app which I am too old to use. I'm 36. There's no place for me on that app, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I had it for about a day and I realized how addictive it was. And I said, oh, I can't do this. I have too many responsibilities. To put at least you had it for phone. a day. I haven't had TikTok uh, at all. Yeah, I, I've been meaning to get one just to lurk a little bit, but not. I still haven't done it, but you know. It's... <laughs> Well, I, they may make it illegal, you know, as a national security threat before too long. So, you know, try it soon, <laughs> I, I guess. Um, but but uh, there's a sense where, where um, you know, this is the first time where people are actually like holding up their smartphones to record what's happening and trying to share it. Not that I think that was particularly helpful in people experiencing the sort of freedom and peace that people had, right? I don't think people through the mediation of electronics really had that same experience of the revival. They could see what's happening, but, but they couldn't feel it for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but I think, you know, it's, it's certainly interesting to see kind of the fallout of that, right. That, that there is this much larger audience that, that can understand what's going on and maybe participate from a distance and, you know, it's really easy if you're in like what's, you know, uh, a city nearby to sort of see what's on TikTok and go there yourself. You know, met, you know, long time ago, you know, it's like, oh, by the time the telegraph gets there and you get on the horse and go, it's already over. So it's not worth participating in anymore. But, um, but yeah, it certainly attracted the attention of so many people. I, I think the moment that I realized this was bigger was when, uh, for better and for worse, I spent too much time on Reddit, which is sort of the internet social media site for um, losers and nerds and geeks like me. <laughs> and uh, Reddit's the one social media site where people are embarrassed to say that they're on it. And um, anyway, I was, they were talking about this in a, in a forum and, and they started to post things like um, uh, sort of political, sort of militant Christianity rallies and said, this is probably what's going on in Asbury for reference. You know, it's just more political Christianity. It's more anger. They're just, you know, praying about abortion and culture wars and Donald Trump and this or the other. And I, I don't think that was that. I thought that was a very unfair characterization of what happened uh, for, for everything I've seen coming out of, of the event. Uh, that, that people have had a chance to reflect on this. And I think they've sort of had a chance to have their own baggage examined 
from their own, if they had a negative youth group upbringing, it kind of brought that forward. If they've, you know, had negative experiences with Christians in the past, it brought that forward. So I think this being the first social media revival, uh, first revival in a social media age, I think is really remarkable. And I think we're still seeing some of the, the, the fallout of that and how that impacted not just the, the folks in Wilmore, but everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, uh, you know, one of the, you talk about like people kind of criticize, I, I, you mentioned in your article and I've seen it too, people, people on the left and right. I mean, I've seen people from the right suspect that there's a lot of like, uh, like, you know, aggressive Christianity, you know, uh, emergent church type stuff going on. In the mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, and I don't know if it's that that's the case or if there's Christian nationalism, Trump stuff going on. I don't, maybe there's a few of those people, that, but like you said, I mean, I, I wasn't, so you actually, you saw some stuff firsthand? Not for not firsthand, but like I watched some videos. You can go on YouTube and find videos of, of what, what happened there. And See, I it, haven't it followed it at all. Like, like it, 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 right. And, and all the reports coming out, they say that, you know, people who were there were like, I expected it to be sort of a, a more religious right thing, but it, it wasn't. And um, so, so I don't think that's the case. And again, I got one small sample of something that took 24 hours a day for two weeks. So that's not to say that it wasn't there in some capacity, but it doesn't seem like the overall tenor of the event was was anything but sort of um, sort of spiritual and um, apolitical in nature. This is interesting. Just to you know, bringing up the, the expectations people have from the outside, uh, right. because I, I feel like there we're in a world now where we assume everyone who doesn't agree with us is evil and and interested in their own political and social self interest. And so we think, and people would think of of, uh, of Christians. Oh, if they get together, they're really excited about being Christian. They're probably crazy, right wing, whatever, whatever. Who are obsessed with what? And this, if, if it when this stuff gets out, you, if you just take a look at it, you see that's not what's happening here. It was surprisingly little of of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. because of the way it was it was managed. You know, in terms of controlling who was allowed to speak and go in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to me, that just shows there's there's something more. The Christian worldview, religion, and ideology did not come 2,000 years out of history for redneck dudes in red hats. <laughs> That's not why it's here. It, it, it survived for a reason. And so every now and then the culture gets to actually see that, which I think is and, and there's a flip side too, right? Because the, the political left will say something like, okay, well, or the more progressive Christians will say like, where where's the social justice component in all this? I don't see any social justice components, you know? It's like, right, right. it's all about you and Jesus. And you're just a bunch of white college students with, you know, anxiety issues going to Jesus and a rock concert and having a moment. It's like, where's the, how's this going to transform society? And it's like, well, that's, that's just as uncharitable, right? Because you have people who are maybe experiencing those kind of calls to do that kind of work. Totally. Um, it's just, not public for you for you to see and again that goes back to this we're trying to control it we're trying to say this is what it should be as opposed to just letting it be the gift that it is right uh you know one of the things that some people have um been critical of and this has kind of come from kind of my own kind of circle and in kind of the circle of our a lot of our viewership i'm sure is uh you know, for lack of a better terms, the the confessional Anglican, confessional Lutheran, confessional reform types, um, they've had a, a similar criticism that if, if if something isn't rooted in the word and sacraments, or at the very least the word, um, if, if something isn't characterized by, you know, the preaching and proclamation from scripture, but is just people in a room feeling for the spirit, like it's a Quaker session, then, then there's going to be other spirits at work you know, um, uh, other spirits, uh, the Bible tells us, you know, to be on guard for that, to test the spirits. Um, now, but I was, I was thinking like, well, what about like, my mind goes to Paul, Paul knew the scripture, of course, uh, of his own, of the old Testament to him was the Jewish scriptures, but, but it's not like he didn't, there was a time when he did not know Christ. Right. And he didn't know Christ by, he, he didn't come to know him by going to the pages of the New Testament. Obviously, he hadn't written half of it yet. He, and he didn't come to know Christ by his own will either. Christ came literally crashing into his world in the Damascus Road experience. So 
as much as I see that the word and sacraments are what we have been graciously given by Christ, um, you know, in order that we may know him uh, in his word, in his sacraments, uh, we, we can't really put a limit on him. Like we like cannot the Holy Spirit who is inseparable from Christ do this to anyone like he did to Paul. Um, and then of course, in goods, God's good time and God's good providence lead them to the word and sacrament. I mean, what do you think? Is that a valid theology? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm Anglican. I, I like my word, my word and sacrament as, as much as, as my brothers and the Lutheran and the more reformed traditions here. And I, and I agree with that. I also want to sort of look at like Mark nine, where there are other people casting out demons in Jesus's name. And then the disciples get real sort of hot under the collar about it. And they're like, Jesus, there are these other people casting out demons in your name. And we told them to stop, right? That was the right thing to do. And Jesus says, actually, like, if they're not against us, then, then they're for us. And, uh, you know, uh, I've used that verse often to sort of remind myself to, to stay in my lane and to recognize that, like, they're doing it differently than me. That's them and the Lord. It's not my business. <laughs> and so um, I, I, you know, if someone comes to me and, and, and asks me about it and they have a negative experience and it becomes my business, then I can kind of, you know, work from there. But for me, um, you know, I, I, I very much am hesitant to critique my fellow Christians, uh, whether they're high church, low church, whichever, you know, I, that was a game I, I played when I was younger and had more fire in my belly and I was young in ministry. And then I met really hurting, suffering people and I just didn't have time for it anymore. <laughs> so, so there's a sense where, um, you know, I, I recognize that, the, you know, and I looked at it and I, when I saw videos and I saw the, the students and sort of very emotive worship, you know, my, my first sort of fleshy thought was, you know, oh, thank God I'm not part of that tradition anymore. You know, like it's so rude of me to say that that was my first thought, but the that then then I'm like, okay, well, you know, forget ask Jesus for forgiveness for that thought, Brian, and recognize that like, you know, the Lord didn't send revival to your church last Sunday, so you know, um, it's not as if not that that's a works righteousness thing, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. That um, whenever you know, the, the sort of log in my own eye versus splinter in their eye in terms of how how this has all come together right well and, and you mentioned in our the idea Drew, you mentioned that the idea that that oh well some of this is going to be you know evil spirits at work too and that's not that's not unique guess guess they were already at work right <laughs> evil spirits have a massive canvas upon which to to do their work in our culture in our society the unique thing is when i God, because of his own will, decides to just drop something on us like this, on people who are in prayer, mm -hmm. um, you know, people who are, are, see, are actively seeking him. I think that's part of it, too. If we just open the door, you know, bust out a Ouija board, a Bible, and uh, and, so, and just say, oh, whatever happens, happens. Okay, that's a problem. But people, when you're seeking God, you'll find him. You know, that, 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 that's a promise to us. You seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. Um, and I know there's going to be weird stuff that, that has come out of this. I mean, that's just because people will get together. But right. the, the devil moving and the evil spirits working is not, they don't sit on their hands until God has a revival. They're doing stuff all the time. And on the on the flip side of this, we just fell to the same, uh, the same deception that people think that the only time God moves is when we can see it. Well, the only mm -hmm. time the devil moves is not when we, you know, have an exorcism movie, right? Like the devil's doing stuff behind the scenes, um, just like God is doing stuff behind the scenes. Right. And we don't want to be elevating the experience in the negative either. Right. And I guess, like you say, Stephen, um, you know, <laughs> I like when you made the joke about break, bust out the Ouija board and the Bible. Like, I mean, any <laughs> any Bible, I mean, just, just having a Bible, like, like just a going to a Bible in itself is not like a guarantee of, I mean, the, the devil used the Bible. Right. And, um, sure. my get my, you know, I think we, we come to a proper understanding of the Bible through being in the community of the faithful. Um, but that also on the flip side, that also involves as a liturgical Christian that involves the infusion of scripture in everything we do sing and pray in the context of worship and fellowship. Um, you know, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, what's the right. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there was lots, there was infusion of scripture in 
uh, the setting of Asbury, and I'm sure there's been revivalist settings where it was more touchy feely. Let's wait for the spirit, like a like a Quaker session. And I don't mean to be dogging on Quakers in this episode, but <laughs> I mean, that is a serious uh, theological difference I do have with that tradition because I, you know, like I'm a Reformation Christian, so uh, which is tied to to the centrality of the word. So, uh, you know, um, you're going to say something, Brian. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to think about revivals and the, the Reformation tradition. And I love that you said earlier the Reformation tradition was a revival in, in a way, right? It may not have been an American revival as we understand right. it, but certainly a revival of of God's word. And 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 you know, we we recognize with the, with the benefit of hindsight the, the movement of the Holy Spirit in that. Um, it is really fascinating to try to put together, okay. I objectively believe Jesus rose from the dead. Mm. I objectively believe that uh, God's word is true as presented in the Old and New Testament. So what role does uh, the sort of expressions of ecstatic emotional Christianity have in life when that is my core foundation, right? I have the objectively true core foundation, but then also there's this extra emotional element that seems to be present throughout church history. And I, you know, you can go back to, to early Christians who had emotive experiences. And um, there, there are so many of these moments where, where um, let me make sure I say this correctly. So, so as to make it articulate here, uh, where it seems as if these emotional experiences that are gifts from God become catalysts for other things that God wants to see happen in the kingdom of God. But I can't even say that too much, right? So, so that I think this is the real challenge for people who are confessionally minded is to say two things are true. Our faith is rooted in an objective reality. And yet um, God gives us these subjective experiences um, and, and they're hard to pin down exactly what they're there for. And so I, I don't know that I have the exact right formula for how to integrate those two things together yet, other than just to say it's all grace, it's all mercy, it's all gift, and um, it's not law, right? It's not sort of condemnation and, and rejection, right? Law and gospel there together. I, I share. If I, if I can, I just want to ask, like, so what uh, I, I mentioned, because the way I rationalize these things is, I, I, like I gave the example earlier of like marriage being a covenant can't be based on emotion, yet emotion is a factor. What like, what? how does that strike you? Is there a reason that you don't think about it in those in, the, in that analogy? Oh, that's a good point. I think it's helpful, right? It really is helpful, right? Because, you know, in my own marriage, right? Um, there are moments where, you know, uh, things are, are good, you know, we're just coming out of a season with a new baby. So, you know, both of us, my wife and I, Beth, Beth and I have been pouring all our energy. Well yeah. Thank you. She's seven months old and she's sleeping through the night. Thank God. Well, she didn't last night, but most nights she is. And, um, and Audrey, God bless her. You know, we're both pouring all of our energy into our children together. Right. And so there was a night the other night where we sat down on the couch just to have a, a moment of planning and, and connection and just we got on the couch together and and we started to think a little bit and then both of us woke up half an hour later we had both fallen asleep just sitting next to each other and um i think you know uh, uh it's hard right because i'm in the middle of a, a a part of marriage where we're so busy with our kids we're still you know working on how to manage making sure we both connect with each other um, it's if, when my relation, when I think about that, my relationship with God, it's like, well, God's not tiring out, you know, God's always sort of looking out for me. He's providentially in control of all things. He's, he's total mercy and grace. He's forgiven my sins. And it's like, well, um, you know, how do I respond to that when, you know, I sort of have zero energy because I've just poured it all into my, you know, preschooler kids. And so I think it's helpful, Stephen. I, I, I 100% agree. That's that's probably the best analogy that I think I can come up with. I think there are limits to it because mm -hmm. um, both husband and wife are limited, but God is not. Right. And, and that may be the, the the challenge with with that metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, I was. I, I there wasn't. I I could have shared this quote earlier. Um. And I wanted to share. Do, do you do you follow uh, EFAC USA, Brian Evangelical Fellowship? I don't. I don't. I I do not. Um, they they shared something about a week ago um, about from the 
evangelical Anglican bishop uh, from the 1800s, Micklewain or Micklevain, Charles Micklevain. Mm. Um, when when he, he, he commented on the the revival of Christianity. This was in the time of the awakening, of course, a different context. But I, I thought his, it was helpful, I guess, pastoral wisdom about it. And, and it kind of reflects my view because that, and I'll share in a moment, but like, um, I'll share the quote in a moment, but my view is kind of like, I'm, I'm not saying the, the, uh, I, I'm undecided or something like that. I don't know if it's even, that's even right for me to say. I, I don't think uh, it's up to me to determine the validity of, of if the, if this is a true spiritual thing, um, thing of the Holy spirit, but I knowing that God is everywhere and involved in the lives of all people. Um, I definitely have to say God was there and I'm, you know, sure people, uh, have been brought to Christ in an age, uh, that, uh, it does not offer really, uh, any substance or, or anything, um, of e eternal value, uh, anywhere except for um except for of course from from christ so i'm you know i'm i'm uh i i'm not uh all that say i'm just not um i don't have a i don't i, I don't have a condemnatory attitude toward it like like some of the critics we've, we've kind of brought up here and there on the show but um i do want to share this quote of uh from micklevain well it's a quote from a biography of him that efac shared this excerpt of and it says that uh, Bishop Micklevain expressed hope that, um, uh, quote, serious inquiry into the well way of salvation had been aroused. Uh, he expressed hope in that, and that members of the parish were searching the Bible, praying diligently, renouncing sin, pursuing holiness, loving one another, and seeking to dwell together in the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. If all these things were true, he wrote, indeed, I do rejoice. Uh, it, it is the work of the spirit. And he's referring to uh, the revival's Yet he let it be known that other spirits could be at work also. Revival he held was a two-edged sword. The most prosperous season in a church could become the most dangerous. The mount is the place, the mount is the place to become giddy, he says. He expressed his customary caution in regard to revival novelties that should have no place in the church. Beware of all efforts to kindle excitement, he warned. Be animated, be diligent, be filled with the spirit of prayer, but be sober-minded. Sobriety of spirit and humility of mind are inseparable. With Charles Finney and other revival specialists in mind, he came down hard on deliberate efforts to promote emotional excess. Let all noise and all endeavors to promote animal feeling be shunned, he said. You can no more advance the growth of religion in the soul by excitement than you can promote health in the body by throwing it into a fever, uh, unquote. So um, some wisdom. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> it is. It is 200-year-old wisdom, but I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, and that kind of sums up what, my attitude about it. I, I think it was, they're all, they're, it was a mixed, I mean, in the past, you definitely saw, I mean, we mentioned Amy McPherson earlier, we mentioned kind of the, the moralism and, uh, and enthusiasms of past revivals of the the big historic ones. Um, and of course, the term revival is kind of fluid anyways, but all to say is, uh, what happened in Asbury and other, and what were some of the other places? Cause this was not the only place. Yeah. Um, there were a number of other schools that sort of had, um, uh, I guess, ripple effects um, out mm -hmm. to them. I, I know Cedarville in Ohio was one of them. I, I think there was a couple other schools. I, I don't know them off the yeah. top of my head though. Yeah. But, but all to say is I think, um, you know, it's in, they're, they're already happening in places where, where there is, you know, um, the, 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 where the faithful are already present in some form because they're places of of religious education or pastoral training but but i i think um that you know I, overall i think i'm just excited to see um that people are considering god at the least uh, you know in this age like we said that is characterized by so much mixed messaging um so many secular forces at work um, and in a world where the gospel is really obscured yeah. and for people to come to find that peace in God, um, I believe God will, will go to any lengths to do that. For us. I, I 100%, you know, I, I think part of why I appreciate this happening in this time is that it is a challenge to our, our um, disenchanted age, right? Because here are people having these marvelous Christian spiritual experiences and they're receiving 
things that the rest of the world desperately wants. They just have the wrong God that they're trying to get it from. And yet here is, here is the, the God of the Bible, the God who brought Jesus and raised him from the dead, offering to his people that very thing that the world desires. And I think that's, that's a real challenge in our secular age, right? Like this is a spiritual matter. It's not a material matter, right? Um, even with, if there is some sort of emotive element to it, um, which I, again, there wasn't, didn't seem to be much to that in Asbury. Um, there's a sense where the spiritual kind of healing, the miraculous, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it and it's turning people's eyes towards Jesus. Um, it, that is a real challenge to our, our secular age. And I, I sincerely hope that um, the ripple effects of, of what happened at Asbury continue. And, and, and there's some more of that that the world can see and testify to, you know, um, that's exactly what happened with Jesus's miracles, right? Like they were there to show that he had the authority and that everyone should pay attention to him so that they would eventually see him rise from the dead. And I think that's really, um, uh, 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 if this revival, if this revival or other revivals can point to the Jesus who died and rose again, I'm, I'm you know, I, I will step out of the way and let it happen. Mm -hmm. Amen. As long as Christ is lifted up, right? As long yep, as Christ is lifted it. up. And that's uh that's what we're gonna title the episode, I think. So thank you, Stephen. <laughs> All right, uh, God bless y'all. Thank you, Brian, for giving your time. Thank you, Stephen.